What's up, y'all? Our very first boredom billionaire is Erica Alexander. And just as a reminder, a boredom billionaire is just a creative visionary that stops dreaming so much and started doing. And I'm Kizzy. This is Boredom Society. And as always, there's at least eight different people running this podcast. And they are all me, baby. So buckle up, buttercup. Now, the reason that I chose Erica Alexander is just because she's one of the first people that showed us something different. Maxine Shaw, attorney at fucking law, is iconic. There's literally something called the Maxine Shaw effect. So pretty much people saw her and said, I want to be a lawyer too. Did I do that? Maybe. But did I have the capacity to do all that schooling and shit? Hell nah. It did so much more for the community than people really realized. Being black was something big in itself, being on TV screens. But to be dark-skinned, like, that's a whole nother ball game. So... So she really helped pioneer some shit for real. And I like her personality. Like, she's like this quirky activist. Like, she seemed like the type to really come behind you and be like, how much wood could a woodchuck a woodchuck could chuck wood? And then at the same time, like, turn around and be like, did you know that 54% of Americans read below a sixth grade level? Like, <laughs> like she just has this, like, personality. Like, she got fun facts out the ass. Like, I would be so happy if she became a politician. After, like, seeing her character, it's given politician. Like, I would love to see her, I would love to see her run the race, real shit. I mean, we can't do worse than the Cheeto, fuck it. But anyway, we are here to talk about her border moments. And this is a refresher, a border moment is that moment when you just say fuck it and go all in on yourself. You don't care what your current reality look like. You bored as fuck, you try to shake some shit up. And all border moments ultimately lead to success. So her first border moment, in my opinion, is when she did that six-week acting program. So what happened was her mom sent her there because in the fourth grade, she did a play and she did so well that her mom was like, shoot, this could be for you, right? And it was her rotation time. So pretty much her family only could really afford to send one kid to an extracurricular every summer. So it was her turn. And she went, and that summer in particular, the Merchant Ivory Company was like holding audition for this movie called My Little Girl. And they kind of like had everybody auditioning, right? And at the time, Merchant Ivory Company was like big shit. Because even in that film, James Earl Jones is in that film. I think J-Lo was in that film, too. But don't quote me on that. So anyway, she knew eight auditions, four screen tests, and she ended up getting it. And at the time, she felt guilty for getting that role because it was girls that was there longer than her and doing more than her who, you know, got passed up because this newbie on the block ended up getting it. So that just goes to show, I mean, sometimes that shit just ain't. But we're going to take a break. We'll be back after a message from our sponsors. I just don't understand how you're a creative visionary board of society and you didn't go to thisisboardofsociety.com to go get your creative visionary hoodie. But I digress. Yep, I'm the sponsor. But anyway, I'm starting something new. It's called Board of Misfits Academy. And it was inspired by two miniseries that I used to do. Billionaire by 30 Words a Day, which is where we were giving words every day so that when you do get into those rooms that you're meant to be in, you're not looking crazy. And the second series that I used to do, what I learned in boarding school. And it's pretty much where I asked God to give me a message a day just because I like knowing random shit. So pretty much from the journey of this week's boredom billionaire, I stole some tips and some lessons, fair and square, might I add. Then I'm putting my spin on it and paying it forward. So it's going to be one main lesson divided into seven with our boredom billionaire words sprinkled throughout on the type of things that turn a boredom misfit to a boredom billionaire. And just as a refresher, a boredom misfit is just a future boredom billionaire that hasn't decided to turn their dreams into goals yet. So the main lesson for today, don't be no fucking sucker. Because that's what she told Kim Coles this night when they was doing laundry together and she dared her to go streaking in her underwear. She was like, don't be no sucker. Now, she didn't say fucking, but I'm your cousin, cousin, Kizzy. I'm going to say that shit. So the lesson for today, don't be no fucking sucker. 
Lesson number one. You don't need all that extra shit to be successful. Erica was 14 years old, ninth grade, auditioned for a role, fair and square. She got that role, fair and square. She ain't had no added training. She ain't had no coaches. She ain't had no extra classes. She wasn't even there longer than the other girls. And because of that, she felt guilty for getting a role that everybody else auditioned the same exact way for. So you might be a little callow, but sometimes that shit just ain't. So still go for that shit. Don't be no fucking sucker. And the word I use was callow, meaning inexperienced. And after that, she did like more independent films and she actually really liked theater. So she was doing more stage theaters and stuff like that. And I mean, shit, the money was good too. So it was something she was good at, something she liked, something she was passionate about. So she kept going with it. And then she had a big break by accident for real. So she was doing this play called Forbidden City, right? And the person that she happened to be doing the play with was Bill Cosby's wife, best friend. So of course, best friend go come see. So when she came to go see, she was like, damn, this little girl's good. So she was like, Bill, you got to see this little girl. Like you got, I mean, of course you got to see my best friend, but you got to see this little girl too. So, and I don't really know if he actually saw it or if Camille was just like rocking so hard that he was like, fuck it. Cause mind you, this is Cosby Showtime, right? So this is like one of the only things that black people could see themselves in. So of course she was auditioning for that shit already. She said she auditioned for years and they always told her that they couldn't find nothing fuck. But then after Camille saw her, told Bill, set up like a little audition or something, called Erica to the crib, which I mean, she said that he ain't never did no crazy shit to her. So let's not, we not finna go there. But pretty much called her to the crib and they made her a role on the spot. Lesson number two, do that shit with your chest because you never know who watching. Every time she auditioned for the Cosby show, they told her no. They told her they couldn't find shit for her. And by acting on something totally different with somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody, she ended up getting a role that she basically didn't audition for. Perfunctory performances yield perfunctory results. So don't be no fucking sucker. Go all in. Do that shit like the people with the right opportunities is watching your ass. And the word I use is perfunctory, which means bare minimum effort. And that led to us like seeing her for real, for real. Like that projected her forward because some of us don't go to stage plays and some of us haven't seen my little girls, but we all seen the Cosby show at one point or another. We know who Cousin Pam is. And at the time, she was a rapper too. I mean, of course, like, so pretty much her, so pretty much her and Charmaine, everybody know Cousin Pam and Charmaine, right? So her and Charmaine, which is Karen White, they was like, shit, we gonna get good at hip hop because the hip hop people is the ones getting all the roles. So the correlation was like, shit, if I can get into hip hop, then I can get into really, then I could do what I really want to do, which is act, right? So it went from being Cousin Pam and Charmaine to Bass E and Trouble K, right? So they actually got a deal with Mercury Records, laid down some tracks, but then it, um, but then the deal like fell through. But it was still wild how it happened because Charmaine, Karen White, she went on to do A Different World. And then Eric Alexander, Cousin Pam, went on to do Living Single. And I think the Cosby Show ended like 92. I think Living Single started 93. Don't quote me on that. I just think, I think this is what I'm thinking. But imagine the time frames on that shit. Like, so... I don't really know if it worked out how that sound. It kind of sounded like it worked out the way that they wanted it to, but I don't know if it worked out exactly the. I don't know. I don't know. Sound like it worked. I ain't gonna cap. But pretty much that's when she started living single, and when she started living single, it wasn't even called living single. It was called My Girls. And then how I'm looking at it, she was supposed to be like Brumman from the Fifth Flow, 
on Martin because she was supposed to be like just in and out. She wasn't supposed to be like a real character for real, but they rock with it and they like the concept in the pilot. So they kept her. And that's what she won them two NAACP image awards. So the shit worked out. So now she's Eric Alexander, cousin Pam, and Maxine Shaw, Tony Law. I mean, she did a bunch of other roles, don't get me wrong, but these are like the like the roles, like when you say her name, you know who the fuck we talk about. So at this point, it's like, damn, her career like real deal taking off for real, for real. But then she hit a little snag. So pretty much she was supposed to do Mama Flora's family. And this was like a part of the root saga. And she was supposed to be playing young Flora. So when she first originally got it, they lowballed her. Like, she wasn't even getting paid half where everybody else was getting paid. So she was like, hell nah. But then one of the producers hit her up and was like, oh, how dare you? You'll never work in this town again. Like, really on some bully type shit, right? So so she was a little shook up, but it was like, y'all still not paying me enough. Where's my money? So they upped the fee. They gave her a little bit more. I mean, it was still lowballing, but it was more than what it was previously. So then she was like, all right, cool, I'll do it. While she's filming, there's like this train scene in the movie. She get to acting and she start freezing up. She went completely numb. And it's like, I don't know if it's because of the type of role, because I would get that. Because the simple fact that she's going from being Maxine Shaw, Tony at Law, and this like cool, goofy, kooky, like always eat people shit type person, like just fun loving. But then you go to Mama Flora's family and you're doing Young Flora which went through all this type of crazy shit. And when you were actress, you had to embody that person that you acted. So it's like, I don't know if that played a part in it. But either way, this is like the first time something like this happened to her. So she goes and she runs to the makeup room, right? So in the trailer, her makeup team, they like calming her down. Like, you know, because she's having this full-blown anxiety attack at this point. So they calming her down. They cover for her with the producers and shit. They like, yo, you know, she'll be out in a minute. Just, you know, be patient, waste some time, whatever. And then she kind of like get herself together. But then Cicely Tyson, who was on the movie playing like Big Dog Floor, she sent somebody to bring Erica to her dressing room, right? So in the moment, she's like, I don't want to do that shit. I'm hysterical. I'm embarrassed. I went through all this to do this damn film, and now this is happening to me. I don't know what's going on. But you don't turn down Cicely motherfucking Tyson. So she went. And Cicely Tyson was, like, just encouraging her because when she first got in there, you know, her eyes red, she all face all puffy and shit. So she go in there. I mean, you can – it was probably very evident that she was crying and she was hysterical or whatever. And then she probably just heard, like, you know, what was going on because she told him, she was like, why didn't y'all send her to me sooner? So she go in there, she telling us, like, Erica, breathe, rush, like, breathe. She, like, kneeling down on her lap type shit, just crying and getting it out. And Cicely Tyson even wanted her to, like, move in with her. And I thought that was so sweet. But she was like, nah, which I get because... I like to play my music loud, and I like to walk around the house. How I like to walk around the house, Cicely would have kicked my ass out. But they did start going to church together, and she was over there a lot. Like, that's why I say, like, everything really do happen for a reason. Because it started off shitty, it got shittier, but then you got a great story out of it. Like, who the fuck else can say I'm besties with Cicely fucking Tyson? But anyway, even after that, for like 15 years, she had a fear of being on set. Yeah, she worked, but I mean, she, that shit still be in the back of your mind. 
Because she said even when she was doing a role for the train scene, when she, because she finished the train scene, like she finished all her scenes and, you know, collected her coin. But we can all agree that was a pretty traumatic ass fucking experience. Lesson number three, stand on your motherfucking nose. Eric Alexander said no to Mama Flora's family the first time, but they basically bullied her into saying yes, then tried to up the pay a little bit like that was going to make it a little better. But she still ain't feel right. She ain't feel like it was going to be propitious. So to end up seeing everything that happened after the result of her not sticking with her no, like, yeah, there was positives and negatives, but but was it worth that 15-year effect that it had on her? Like, if that shit don't feel right, don't let nobody treat you like no motherfucking suck about it. Stand 10 toes about your motherfucking no and keep it pushing. And the word I use is propitious, meaning favorable. But then it's like, although there were people were getting jobs, there wasn't many roles for black people. So she wasn't getting as much play as she was before, and she ended up going bankrupt. Now, she didn't go bankrupt because she was buying mansions and fancy cars and shit. She went bankrupt because she was paying regular fucking bills on residual checks so she had to sell shit and just file for bankruptcy and i ain't gonna lie to even keep going through that that alone is just fucking incredible because it's like it's one thing when you don't have money and then you go to having money like you know you was hungry you was striving you was getting out the mud now you got a little something something and it's not like she was a stranger to being broke she grew up broke she said the first 11 years of her life she stayed in a hotel off route 66 she was, she said her and her siblings, like her and her family, like her mom was a teacher, her dad was a preacher, and as a preacher, her dad was like, yeah, he was a healer and stuff like that, but he would go from church to church. It wasn't like a specific church home and stuff like that, like they was living off tips on a collection place type shit. She said that where her family, she was dumpster diving, She would, they was selling shit, they would sweep people porches, they was digging through couches for bread, like they was they weren't poor. They were poor. And then with her mom, if teachers don't be getting paid now, what the fuck you think they was getting paid back then? You can get you get the point. She grew up poor, but she ended up getting to the point where she was able to help pay bills with her mom. Because at the time, she was making more than what her mom was making from her mom's three jobs. So she also helped with her family. Like, she put her sisters through school shit like that. But it's a whole different ball game when you have money. And now you look up and the money is gone. It's like if you tell somebody right now, oh, damn, I lost $20 a day. They'll be like, damn, I'm sorry to hear that. But if you tell somebody, I lost 20 bands a day, they're going to be like, hold up. We got to go find this shit. We, 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 we you been at? And then the amount of judgment and ridicule that could come with something like that, while you sitting there trying to still be Maxine Shaw, attorney at law, happy, happy-go-lucky, probably taking pictures with motherfuckers, and you going through this? Lesson four, life happens to everybody. Leave people the fuck alone. Because imagine going from Cousin Pam and Maxine Shaw, attorney at law, being in a limelight. You got people saying that you were the reason why now they're making so much money and you facing eviction. You asking to take pictures and there's people who literally will go up to celebrities and try to provoke them to get a check or whatever, stuff like that. Like even with Jeffrey Owens, he was on the Cosby show too. He was working at Trader Joe's and it was everywhere. People talking all this shit about him and posting him and stuff like that. Like, And it's like, you don't know how that shit feel. I mean, I don't know how that shit feel. Nobody really know how that shit feel except for the person that it's happening to. And it's like, I don't know his story, but with Erica Alexander's story, she wasn't trying to ball the fuck out. She wasn't balling out of control. She was paying regular fucking bills. 
I mean, she was helping family. She was paying bills, helping family. She ain't had no crazy Lamborghini. She ain't had no motherfucking $30 million mansion. And then it probably had people judging, saying, oh, well, did she probably shouldn't have been doing da-da-da-da. Or people coming out with their little version of the shoulda, woulda, couldas. Like, really and truly, don't be on that sucker shit. Because all it's really going to take is one bad day for us to have to lament your ass. And lament means more. It just looked like traumatic experience after traumatic experience after traumatic experience. And then, in the meantime, between time, between living single and all that going on, she get a call from her agency that they letting her go. So it's like, God damn. It's like they went around the room. They was like, well, who wants her? And everybody, everybody was like, nope. So then they just cut her from the roster like she wanted shit. So here she is thinking like, damn, I'm 37, 38. This when I could do the most roles because when she started off, she was a kid. She looked like a kid. You can only do so many, so many roles as a kid. But then when you adult like that, and she she looks like she could be the mom, the cousin, the sister. Like you can, and then she got credentials behind her name. So it's like, okay, cool. You got two NAACP awards. You've done theater, you've done the mainstream, the TV, the movie. You can play the serious role or the goofy role. You're not boxed in at this point. Ain't no crazy stories out. She wasn't showing her puss on live for $1,000 and shit. And she stayed out of shit. So it's like, okay, I'm 37, 38. I'm in my prom. I have no college degree. Because I read somewhere that she had... Okay, so I read somewhere that she dropped out her second week in order to do um this like in order to tour and do like stage theater but then she said out of her mouth that she skipped college in order to help her mom out because that's when her dad died her dad died when he was like 35 so she was like helping pay the bills and stuff like that but it's like no college degree no like directorial experience or producing or nothing like that no real like experience other than acting i'm not a hassle i'm bringing y'all in money and the people that's supposed to be helping me is the ones that don't even see my potential lesson number five fuck who don't see your vision if everybody see the genius and what the fuck you trying to do ain't no genius in it not everybody is supposed to understand sometimes the people that you expect to support you the most ain't gonna support you at all sometimes you gotta show motherfuckers and even then, they still might not support you. You mean to tell me they said that nobody would get excited for Maxine Shaw, attorney at motherfucking law? I mean, of course, this is the whites-only sections of agents, but still. Like, she legit said she felt godsmacked when she got that phone call. Like, sometimes people won't treat you regular like you know who the fuck you are. But everybody served their purpose. They served their purpose to her in the facts of they got her what they got her when they got it. They didn't deserve to make no more money off her. They didn't deserve a fucking dime. But she wasn't going to sit down and be no fucking sucker. She kept going. And the word I used was Godsmack, meaning shocked. And in the end, she ended up getting like a way better agent. She ended up getting the agent that Chadwick Boseman had. And, uh, and ironically, nobody wanted him. Like Black Panther Chad. I just know somebody was punching the air when he came out as Black Panther. Rest in peace. Oof. And I don't know how many times she changed, like, agencies or whatever, but, but I just feel like having good people behind you that actually want to see you do better and can help you propel and, and can actually and actually have the means to propel you forward, that shit, that shit, you always going to win off that shit. But I just like the fact that she finally found somebody who saw her. I know people like, oh, 
don't let nobody invalidate you but the fuck if you keep getting no after no after no that shit get depressing so it feels good when you get a yes but then after all that craziness and all that shit she still ended up getting amazing roles like when she did the Wu-Tang series so she played the mom and it's so wild because remember she used to rap and she did get out when she was Detective Latoya and ironically she didn't even know that was a horror movie like she auditioned of course but at that time she was campaigning for Hillary she was doing Bosch and she was doing Queen Sugar so she was just really acting and putting her hands in different pots like she really booked it busy out in these streets so pretty much Joy and Peele sent her an email saying like you know we would love to have you like you were perfect for this role all type of shit so when she got the email she thought I was a college student and then when she got to her dressing room she was like oh Jordan Peele that's who running this movie and I ain't gonna lie, I feel like that was everybody's expression. Essentially, not only is Jordan Peele directed, Jordan Peele is directing a horror film, a thriller. And I like I like that type of horror. Like, I don't like them same movies. Like, you know Jason gonna get the fuck up and try to kill that girl again. Like, it's a, it's a good movie, but it's like, we know what the fuck gonna happen. She gonna get away. <laughs> like, but I like them, but it's like, I like them thriller type movies. So she goes, she does her four hours of filming, she go home, and it wasn't to the trailer. She looked, she like, the fuck was I just in? Because she over there thinking this is going to be a comedy. And, and honestly, she didn't even know they was going to use her part. But then to see that, yeah, they used their part. But it's a horror film. And by that point, she was like, fuck it. I'm going to run with it. But anyway, the thing that really like most intrigued me that she did was Black Lightning. And that's because Black Lightning came out, I think, 2018. I think that's when she did her first role for uh for Black Lightning, right? In 2014 is when she released her comic book, Concrete Park. And this was like, this was a comic, this was a comic book she was trying to get out for years. Like, from like the 99s to the 2000s type shit. Well, really, she said like early 90s to 2000s. But she was trying to get that motherfucker out there. And it was her and her ex-husband. So pretty much they finally got a meeting with the president of like one of the top companies in the department that they needed to get they to to get it published. And I think they wanted to make a movie and then one thing led to another and it turned into a comic book. But yeah, they got the meeting and they at the meeting, an old boy turned him down because he's like, yo, black people don't see themselves in the future. Like he's saying like black people can't be in science fiction because they don't see themselves in the future. And it was like, the fuck you mean black people don't see themselves in the future? We can't see ourselves in the past. It's shitty back there. And I mean, everybody loves to be in a present moment, but everybody has high hopes for their future. Why the fuck are black people excluded from that? But the reason why he said that was because they did like a, I guess they did tests on whether the movie going to be good or not or whatever the fuck. And one of the black guys in there was like, how that N-word get to Mars? So, you know, they took that shit and just ran with it. Like, as if he speaks for the entire black community. And pretty much that's all that they needed to make the assumption. And that's why I always tell people, like, don't talk about us with not us. And people don't get it, but the people who get it, get it. So after that, her ex-husband was like, fuck it, I'll draw it. He was on some, like, they don't believe in us, so we gonna believe in us type shit. So they ended up getting everything together, like, drawing it and shit like that. And they took it to Mike Richardson, which is, like, head of Dark Horse. Which Dark Horse did stuff like 300 and Sin City and The Mask and uh, The Umbrella Academy. Like, shit like that. So they took it to him and he was like, shit, I fuck with this. Let's do it. And they got it out there. Lesson number six. The fuck it space is your most creative space. 
when you grow barbersome shit, you start thinking about all the different ways that you could shake shit up and make your situation better. When her and her ex-husband got rejected for Concrete Park, they said, fuck that shit. We're going to draw it. We're going to write it. We're going to put that shit out ourselves. They weren't just going to be no motherfucking suckers. They went and they found somebody else that will do it. They went and found somebody else that will put it out, that did see the vision, that did see what they was doing and what they wanted to do and wasn't going to treat her and her projects like they were just nugatory or some shit. They did that shit by any means necessary. And now it's seen as one of the best graphic novels in America. But it wouldn't have gotten nowhere if they had stopped at the rejection point. They said, fuck it, got creative, and found somebody that would do what other people wouldn't. And a word I use is nugatory, meaning not important. And now she's doing more science fiction work with um 50 Cent and Illuminous, which I hope she is. It was supposed to, it's called Zero. So pretty much Zero was a comic, and it was owned by Warner Brothers, but now it belongs again to the creator of Zero. And they was talking about doing it like February 2022. I don't know if they, I, I hope they still going with it. Because, I mean, shit, science fiction probably take a long time to make real shit. All the effects and shit. But, yeah, she's trying to make a movie now. And they doing it without Warner Brothers. Because, remember, it was owned by Warner Brothers. But it was released back to the creator after, I think, the contract timed out. Some shit like that. But it's stuff like that that I think bred her second border moment. Now, her second border moment to me was creating Cimarron Entertainment. Well, two hands and a mouthful of productions. Either way, it was, she mainly called it Cimarron Entertainment. And she wanted to do it since the Cosby show when she started writing and stuff like that because she noticed that the real people who had the power were the creators. The people that created the shows, the people that wrote, the people who instructed the actors and actresses to do what they do. So she was like, damn, I want to do that. And then she's looking around and she sees there's Harpo Entertainment by Oprah and then she sees 40 Acres and a Mule, the production company. And she's like, shit, I could really do that. So mind you, this is like 1993. She's getting her checks from Living Single. So she used her Living Single check to fund Cinderella Entertainment. But she didn't really know what she was doing back then. Like, she just saw, like, this is what I want to do. Let me go and do it. So when the Living Single check stopped, she couldn't keep it up. So she had to let it go. But in the meantime, she was still developing herself. And so her husband at the time, Tony, he was a screenwriter. And then Ben Armand, her future partner that she ain't knowing at the time, he knew more about the industry and the workings and how to pitch and how to sell and all the other stuff. So he was teaching her the game because it's like she had all these projects, but she ain't know what to really do with them. And once she felt like she was ready, her and Ben got together and formed Color Farm Media. And she knew Ben already from when they was campaigning. She was campaigning for Hillary and he was campaigning for, for Obama. And don't don't get on my girl because the I ain't gonna lie, I was I was like, what? But she had explained it. She said that she was friends with Hillary and she didn't know who Obama was at first. Cause then at that point I was like, oh, it's understandable. Cause one thing about it, I'm wrong with my homies over anybody. So I understood it when she put it like that. But either way, we don't pass judgment around here. Some of y'all don't even vote. But they got together and they created Color Farm Media. Now, Color Farm Media was made in 2017. So you could kind of tell from 1993 when she started Cimarron Entertainment and then it ending because she couldn't really keep up with it and now developing herself. And then in 2017, starting something with better resources and more knowledge. You feel me? So pretty much she said she wanted to rebrand blackness. And what she meant by that is if you could see black people in media in a better light, you could see them in the world in a better light. 
even when she said like her kid roles when she had kid roles she said the roles for kids was only prostitute slave or foster child and to be a little black girl and that's all you see black girls being is like well where's the representation so she calls color farm media the motown of film tv and tech and at first i was like tech but then i was like oh yeah with concrete park she using nfts like she did it on, she did it digitally through NFTs. To me, the easiest way I could really describe an NFT is digital ownership. So say for instance, she got Concrete Park, she only make 100 issues. So only 100 people can get those 100 issues. You own that shit. Now say for instance, you bought it at a dollar, right? Now the fact that it's only 100 in the whole world, now that one that you bought for a dollar could possibly be worth 10k so let's just say now it's worth 10k now you could pass it off to somebody else for that 10k but you don't own it no more you have no rights to it this person that you sold it to has all the rights it just seems like digital ownership because at first it was real confusing but it really just seemed like digital ownership but anyway that's besides the point so when she say the motown of film tv and tech what i feel like she mean is with motown they was already stealing our shit we could have made a song about doodle and ketchup. They was going to gentrify that shit by tomorrow. So it's like Motown gave us our sound back for real. Instead of you having to go through these people that's going to tell you no and tell you what you're worth and tell you that you're invaluable, you can get those opportunities faster and easier without all the pushback. And because now nah, this her shit, she can do what the fuck she wants. She can create projects that actually mean something to her. Because can't nobody truly control no shit that belong to you. They could tell you, oh, we don't want to do that or we don't want to work with that. But it's still your project. You do what the fuck, whatever the fuck you want. Because your concrete part, somebody going to fucking do it. Because she was leaving it with something. So now she created her own lane. She doing her own projects. She did Good Trouble with Congressman John Lewis, which was nominated for like three Emmys. And she won an NAACP award from that. She did The Big Payback that started off as a podcast, but then turned into a documentary. And it was like tax dollars providing reparations to black Americans. Because it's wild that slave owners was the only ones that got reparations from slavery. Like they basically had PPP loans for slave owners. Because it was like, oh, well, you lost all these workers. What are you going to do? But we didn't get shit. And she also had a podcast, Fond and Tamika. Now, that project was co-produced with Kevin Hart and Charlamagne, right? It is about a black girl named Tamika going missing and the media coverage being ass. And I feel like that really aligned with what she was really trying to do with Color Farm Media. She's trying to humanize black people. Like, real shit, the media needs to see us as more than just trends. Like, Sandra Bland or Shaquilla Robinson. Because with Sandra Bland, I don't understand how people wasn't talking about it more. How are you going to pull somebody over for some stupid, like, even pulling somebody over for stupid shit like that, I feel like cops shouldn't be able to do. Like, them traffic, like, them traffic violations, like, the rolling stop, send that shit to the house. Send it with a video or something. Of course, I'm going to be mad when I see it, but I'm going to be alive. She was literally, he got mad because she was recording and tried to drag her out the car. Pull the taser on her and everything. If the whole point of the job is to protect and serve, what the fuck are you stopping somebody about not signaling for? Or for a broken tail light, Or some other stupid shit. It might be annoying to the other drivers around or something like that, but it shouldn't be fucking deadly. But it's just like, Blackface, no case. Like, that's I feel like that's how they feel about it, so they harass us a lot more. It's not just to say pull out your phone. 
it's to say we need something to happen. We need people to look at us as humans so that certain shit like this won't happen. But yeah, anyway, I don't I just don't understand how the trend died out for Sandra Blair. You mean to tell me a woman that moved to a different state for a better life now goes to jail for absolutely no reason. They book her and the officer is already hostile. Got got the knee in the back and throwing her around and shit like that. She already said that she felt like he broke her arm. So you mean to tell me not only did she tank herself with a trash bag, she hung herself with a broken arm. None of that shit tracked. And the same with the Shanquilla, the Shanquilla Robinson case. The shit don't track. How are y'all going vacation and y'all come back missing one, but you at this girl mama house acting like shit just good and crazy, telling lies and shit, and there are no charges being pressed. First of all, Mexico lied to keep tourism going. Then we get the true story, and it ain't even a true story. It's timelines missing and shit, and it's a video. It's a video of somebody fighting this girl. This girl saying she not going to fight back. Now, there are injuries that look like they could have happened during that fucking fight. Why is nobody being charged? Nobody's in jail. Nobody's being charged. It was like it was like it was just a trend for the time being. And the only reason they started investigating was because it was a trend. But honestly, I just wish all of them would have handled the situation like Tamika did. Because Tamika haunted the fuck out of people. <laughs> Tamika wanted her story out though. So pretty much she was getting in people's dreams. She was talking through people, talking through medias and shit, giving messages about the case, about the trial, all that shit. So Tamika was really trying to get her story out there. So Erica Alexander, like, she asked, like, can I tell your story? I feel like, shoot, Tamika knew she was finna do it justice. So she said, hell yeah, you can tell my story. So pretty much Erica decided that she wanted to do this uh, Tamika documentary to make sure that black women and children are actually seen looked for found but erica had a condition because see tamika um the sound producer he was like you know he could feel tamika hand on his shoulder now erica alexander was like look <laughs> you can't be scaring me and want me to tell the story we, we gonna do either all because i mean she had a grandma that was a witch but i don't think she she, I don't even, first of all, I don't even think she met her. The The way her grandma died was through witchcraft and stuff like, you know, so I just feel like that's probably like a a sore spot for her. Like she believes that she knows how things go down and stuff like that. She's comfortable, but with boundaries. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing Tamika agreed because she ain't do all the scaring her and stuff like that. And they got, and they got that project out. But honestly, stuff like that just makes me excited for what she gonna do next. Lesson number seven. If you want your big shit to be the best shit, it's gonna take a little bit more time. You're not always gonna get that thing that you want immediately. It was over 20 years from Samurai Entertainment to Color Farm Media. So it's pretty much, it took her over 20 years to gain the wisdom and the knowledge that would lead to the longevity that she was looking for. People see your end result, but they don't see the shit that it took to get to where you got. The rejection of her and her projects, the losing money, going bankrupt, and then the gaining knowledge of writing and directing because the big payback was her first directorial debut. Like, she didn't know how to do none of that stuff. 
and had two hands and a mouthful of productions been successful the first time, it wouldn't have had the longevity that Color Farm Media about to have. She didn't know the stuff that she needed to run a successful media company. She had not even been behind the camera yet. So when you get stymied and shit, shit is not going right, it's not going your way, don't be no fucking sucker. It's probably a reason. Because you might not know it right now, but you probably just not ready for that shit. She said at one point, she said the thing that she was most gifted in was acting. And I think the thing that she's most gifted in is being an activist. Acting, of course, is good. She's a really good actress. Like, she's a really good actress. But I think even when you look at her roles and stuff, she plays like police officers, lawyers. Like, she plays this justice type role. And then with Color Farm Media, she has this justice type vibe on Color Farm Media. I just think she might as well just, just do her big one and go into politics for real. She already know the route. She was doing it with Hillary. So why not, you know, get it, go all in, fuck it. Like, but that's besides the point. Now she's doing things that feels good to her. And I feel like starting with starting that media company, that's what she needed. Because like acting, it helped her help people. But looking at somebody now that got through everything that they went through, a person that consistently got bored with shit and made shit happen, and is able now to tell an amazing fucking story. The question now is, what the fuck is stopping you from turning your boredom to billions? All right, y'all, I really hope y'all enjoyed that episode. And I'd just like to give a special thanks and shout out to the cast and crew, the director, the producer, the editor, the writer, as well as our hair and makeup department and our wardrobe department, me. And speaking of, you can go to thisisboredomsociety.com if you'd like to support me. You can grab a t-shirt or a hoodie created also by me, and you can get one of our self-help activity books and journals to help you help you but enough about me thank you for listening for watching subscribing liking commenting and for joining my patreon so if you're not in there i'll see you next week and if you are in there i'll see you in a couple minutes um.